Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. Today, we're going to talk about money. Sort of an uncomfortable topic for most, especially if you had money and you lost it all. Very uncomfortable. But failure is only final if you give up. And success in life is measured by how much you give, not how much you have. This is the case of those who have becoming those who have not. Now, do you think it would be worse to have millions, make it billions of dollars these days and lose it all? Or is it worse to never have had wealth at all? My dad always told me, Karen, pay yourself first and successful people always stick to their budget. Well, this is not the case with Bernie Madoff, who worked the so-called Jewish circuit of well-heeled Jews he met at country clubs on Long Island and Palm Beach. His scheme targeted members of a particular religious or ethnic community, the Jewish community, and that is called affinity fraud. And the ritzy enclave of Palm Beach, where Madoff had a home and where he found many of his clients, might have been hit the hardest by his Ponzi scheme. Now, the one thing that Madoff's clients all had in common was that they were all members of the Palm Beach County Country Club. It's an exclusive club with a beautiful golf course, ringed, of course, by palm trees, and it overlooks the Atlantic Ocean. And that's where he would go fishing. He was a member, and other members sought introductions in hopes of being allowed to even be able to throw their money into his exclusive investment club that brought steady double-digit returns even when the market was down. Red flag. Madoff made investing with him exclusive. He had people on Palm Beach begging him to allow them to invest their life fortunes. And then they lost it all. This Palm Beach Madoff investor, Stephanie Hallio, explains what it's like to lose everything. It was the worst thing that ever happened to us. In one second, our whole lives disappeared. People have killed themselves because they've lost everything. People have lost their health because they've lost everything. So one French guy invested $1.4 billion in Bernie Madoff's disgraced Ponzi scheme. He was found dead of apparent suicide shortly after Madoff was arrested in 2008. But not everybody who lost everything wanted to end it all or do something drastic. What do you do? What do you do? I don't, I don't want to hold up a bank. I don't want to, you know, end my life. That's Palm Beach County resident Neil Friedman. He seems to have bounced back. He found a new career at the age of 80, after he lost all his money with Madoff as a photographer. We lost over $4 million. Connie never got over it. When she learned about it, She all she could think about is being poor again. And um, so she died um, four years ago. So you might say that the stress of losing it all killed his wife, Connie. And then Bernie's wife, Ruth, they were childhood sweethearts, told NBC's Today Show in 2011 that she knew nothing about her husband's fraud. Right. And she said that when everything came to light, she and Bernie also wanted to kill themselves. We decided to kill ourselves because it was it was so horrendous what was happening. We had terrible phone calls, hate mail. I don't feel sorry for those people at all. That's <laughs> Stephanie Hallio, that's what she thinks. In fact, that's when Ruth lived just up the street from Stephanie at the upscale Broken Sound Country Club in Boca Raton. Now Ruth lives a quiet life in Greenwich, Connecticut. She's still married to Bernie, but she cut off all contact with her husband at her son's request. Her older son, Mark Madoff, 
hanged himself in 2010 on the second anniversary of his father's confession. He was 46 and his own two-year-old son was asleep in the next room when he killed himself. Now, Mark and Andrew, the younger brother, maintained that they also knew nothing about their father's crimes. I don't know. Mark apparently concluded that he would never be completely free of the scandal. So Andrew died four years after his brother Mark at the age of 48 after a long battle with mantle cell lymphoma. It's a rare cancer that typically strikes men over 60. So it could be the stress of everything escalated the lymphoma. Madoff's sons were never criminally charged, but in 2017, the Justice Department reached a $23 million settlement with the sons' estates and the money went to the victims. So banks, investment funds, individuals, even charities, all lost money in Bernie Madoff's $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Well, some people say it was $65 billion, but really it was only $20 billion, but who's counting? Madoff's victims numbered as many as 37,000 in 136 countries. Please let me invest my life savings with you, Mr. Madoff. So how did it work? Madoff simply deposited a client's check into a single bank account, and he used to pay existing clients who wanted to cash out from that account as well. But he funded the redemptions by attracting new investors and their capital, but was unable to maintain the fraud when the market turned sharply lower in 2008. Now, some Jewish charities had their savings invested with Madoff's fund. One philanthropic group, the Jewish Federation of Greater Los Angeles, lost more than 10% of its endowment, $6.4 million. Also, Elie Wiesel, the Holocaust survivor, renowned writer and Nobel Peace Prize winner, invested his savings with Madoff. He lost $15 million for the Elie Wiesel Foundation for Humanity, an organization that promoted tolerance and equality. He found out about Madoff's arrest and said, I've seen worse. Vizel, of course, survived the Auschwitz concentration camp where he was sent at the age of 15. Everything's relative. So in 2008, when the big housing bubble burst, so did Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme as people began to want to withdraw their money. And he did not have enough to cover all the payouts and he had to come clean. So on December 10th, 2008, this was during the holiday season. They were having office parties, but Bernie knew that everything was about to be exposed. So he finally confessed to his sons and he told them that the asset management unit of his firm was a massive Ponzi scheme. One big lie. The following day, FBI agents arrested Madoff, charged him with securities fraud. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, had previously investigated Madoff's business practices, but had not uncovered the massive fraud at the time. It was incredible how he covered it up. Now, we haven't heard a lot from Bernie Madoff since he was arrested and sentenced to 150 years in prison, but we did hear from him exactly one year before his arrest. He was speaking at a roundtable discussion about the investment industry and how it's difficult to cheat and violate regulations. Well, just listen to this. You know, in today's regulatory environment, it's virtually impossible to, to violate rules. And this is something that the public really doesn't understand. And you, if you read things in the newspaper and you see somebody, you know, violate a rule, you say, well, you know, they're always doing this. But you, it's impossible for you to go under, for a violation to go undetected. Certainly not for a, a considerable period of time. 
So again, this roundtable was in December of 2007. Bernie Madoff was arrested for doing exactly what he's talking about there that can't be done, violating rules in 2008, December 2008. So he's sitting there, bald-faced, lying, knowing in his own heart and head that he is actually doing what he says cannot be done. Here's more from his discussion. Uh, I mean, our firm, for example, alone, we trade in excess of $1 trillion a year. So, and that's one firm. You know, so you can, you, you, when you look at the scope of the trading uh, that goes on today in Wall Street, and you look at the, what we would consider to be the infractions, uh, they're relatively small, you know, primarily because, you know, of all the regulation. And most firms do try to comply with that. Remember, prosecutors said that Madoff used his firm, Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities, LLC, to swindle thousands of individuals, charities, hedge funds, pension funds, probably since the 70s. So everything he's saying here is a lie. You know, as honest as you can find, you, you try and get people to, to, to be, there's this, this, this normal, natural pull, you know, that you have to deal with. So by, by taking the human being out of the equation to a great extent and turning it over to a computer to make the decision, uh, I guess you could, you could also program the computer to, to violate the regulation. <laughs> but we haven't gotten there yet. You know? Yeah, just ask the people on the 17th floor where everything went to vanish because Bernie Madoff directed his scheme from his office on the 19th floor. But prosecutors told jurors that much of the work done to conceal what was going on with the Ponzi scheme took place in the secretive offices of the 17th floor. It was dubbed House 17 and was accessible only with a security card. So Madoff's whole scheme began unraveling in 2008 when he came up short with the amount of money he needed to pay people back. Well, the issue was he only had $234 million in his account in late November. He needed $7 billion. So even Jethro Bodine, not times not equals not carry the not, could figure out that the math didn't add up. So according to the FBI's report, once Madoff realized that he was not going to be able to pay everything off, in December of 2008, he confided in his sons and brother about the Ponzi scheme. And here's son Andrew telling 60 Minutes how he and his brother turned their dad into the FBI. Two of us um, got in the elevator, went back down to the street. Uh, driver was waiting out front of the building and said, you know, you guys need me to take you back to the office or, you know, where's the old man? And uh, we, we said, you know, he's still upstairs, you're waiting for him, and we just walked out. Uh, it's, it was pouring rain outside, um, and we, we, we started to walk down Lexington Avenue and uh, trying to get a taxi. Uh, got in a cab and weren't even really sure where to go. Uh, we knew that we uh, couldn't live with this information uh, and not do something about it, and we knew we needed to uh, speak to an attorney, and we knew that that was going to lead to us turning him in. But we didn't know how to do that. Um, you know, knowing the right thing to do and then knowing how to do it are two totally different things, and we needed help. Uh, luckily, we were able to turn to Mark's father-in-law, who is a litigator, and um, Mark immediately called him and uh, said, you know, we need to talk to you. It's, it's urgent. And he invited us to come over to his apartment, which we did, and we went straight there. Bernie Madoff's two sons called the FBI unbeknownst to their own mom, Ruth. I wasn't shocked in retrospect, but I had no idea. I don't think he did either, actually. I realized they had to do it. 
I wasn't angry at them. Of course they had to do it. So March 12, 2009, Madoff pled guilty to 11 federal felonies and admitted to turning his wealth management business into a massive Ponzi scheme. But how long had Madoff been doing this? Federal investigators believe the fraud began as early as the mid-1980s and may have even began as far back as the 1970s. Did we even have currency back then? I mean, (laughs) that was back when Nixon got rid of the gold standard that used to back our dollar. They were running out of gold. Then on June 29, 2009, Madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison, the maximum sentence allowed. His scheduled release date, November 14th, 2139. God, that's well after the end of the world on the Mayan calendar. So, everything Madoff ever bought or owned was sold or auctioned off. They even auctioned off his money clip (laughs) and the possessions in his Palm Beach home. Now, Madoff has been serving his 150-year sentence at the federal prison in Butner, North Carolina. And he recently submitted a compassionate release request to the Bureau of Prisons saying that he was dying... But the judge, Judge Denny Chin, called Madoff's crimes extraordinarily evil and wrote that while Madoff's failing health was unfortunate, compassionate release was not warranted. So Madoff, at the age of 82, was using a wheelchair. His attorney said that he had fewer than 18 months to live. And based on Madoff's math, that meant he only had about a week to live. He had chronic kidney failure that had progressed to end-stage renal failure. Yeah, I'd love to see the dialysis machine they've got for him in prison. State-of-the-art. The The U.S. government also opposed the early release, saying that Mr. Madoff was never really truly remorseful and was only sorry that his life as he knew it was collapsing around him. So the judge wrote. Madoff sought release under the First Step Act in 2018. That's the act that Trump and Kim Kardashian came up with to let older people out of jail. But the real dagger for prosecutors was that Madoff used his firm, Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities, LLC, to swindle thousands of individuals, charities, pension funds, and hedge funds, including many with ties to the Jewish community. So a court-appointed trustee estimated that Madoff's customers lost close to $17.5 billion, of which 14.3 has been recovered. So any customer that gave Madoff Investment Securities up to $1.3 million has now been made whole. Apparently, to date, the government has also recovered about 76 cents on the dollar. But not everybody was made whole. There are net winners and there are net losers. Simply put, if a Madoff investor took out more money than they put in, they are a net winner, and they were foreclosed from receiving any restitution as a victim. Conversely, if the investor put in more money than they took out, the investor is a net loser, and that person was able to receive a distribution as a victim of the Madoff scheme. And there were many people who put money in but never took money out of their profits. It's the only fair way to handle the situation because if they were taking out Ponzi money, which they were not entitled to, if they had funds available, that money being clawed back made a lot of sense. Now, another reason Madoff managed to fly under the radar for so long, despite multiple reports to the SEC about suspicions of a Ponzi scheme, is because Madoff was a well-versed and active member of the financial industry. He started his own market maker firm in 1960 and helped launch the NASDAQ stock market. 
He sat on the board of National Association of Securities Dealers and advised the Securities and Exchange Commission on trading securities. So it was easy to believe that this guy, this industry veteran, knew exactly what he was doing. Bernie even went so far as to blame his investors that he built for being greedy. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. That's Michael Douglas as Gordon Gecko from the movie Wall Street. Bernie said his investors must have suspected something was going on, that the returns he produced were not possible. He said, how can you be making 15 or 18 percent when everyone is making less money? Greed is good. Speaking of which, get this. Lawyers have pocketed about $800 million cleaning up Madoff's mess. Madoff's net worth today, negative 17 billion bucks. So chances are that you are richer than Madoff, my friend, the money whiz. He had more money when he started out in 1960 as a penny stock trader with $5,000. And he earned that from working as a lifeguard and a sprinkler installer. And today, his wife, Ruth, does not go to visit him anymore. Ruth, who was never implicated in her husband's crimes, agreed to forfeit some $75 million in assets held in her name, including the couple's Upper East Side apartment. Apparently, it was magnificent. The settlement with federal prosecutors left her with $2.5 million, which reportedly allows her to lead a comparatively modest lifestyle in Old Greenwich, Connecticut. Poor thing. I think it's important to point out that Madoff's worst damage could have been prevented if the SEC had been more rigorous in its initial investigations. Just putting that out there. So every morning, Bernie Madoff wakes up at 4.30 a.m. in his federal prison in North Carolina, but not because he has to, but because he can't sleep. He says he's haunted by the suicide of his oldest son, Mark, who hanged himself on December 11th, 2010, the second anniversary of his father's arrest. He says, I was responsible for my son Mark's death, and that's very, very difficult. He said, I have to live with that. Maybe not for much longer. (laughs) Well, just after I recorded that podcast and predicted that Bernie didn't have much time, well... He's dead as a doornail. The mastermind of the largest Ponzi scheme in American history died behind bars in North Carolina the day before tax day. So you can't escape taxes or death. He was 82. Bernie Madoff's health, as I was telling you, was deteriorating in recent months. He was in a wheelchair, suffering from kidney disease. Madoff died 12 years into his 150-year sentence. (laughs) That wraps up this episode of Full Rigor. Thanks for joining me. Until next time. Your story. It lives in River City. Where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel. Where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another. Where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha. Told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. 
Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.